0: Greetings to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Sunday School Podcast for November 13th, 2022. That's the 23rd Sunday after Pentecost. And today we're looking at Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 19. This is the story of Abraham and the near sacrifice of his beloved son of laughter, Isaac. This is also very close to the end of Abraham's life. In fact, after this, he, he disappears from the scene. He, he dies shortly after Genesis chapter 22. Um, and that's only to say that, that everything that happens in, in Abraham's life, and a lot happens in Abraham's life, but everything leads up to this moment in Genesis chapter 22. And all of this is worked by God to comfort us with the gospel. Now, Abraham's story occupies quite a bit of the book of Genesis. He begins as kind of an unknown guy, and God calls him to go to a strange land he's never been to before, and God declares that he will be the father of a great nation there. So, having never seen Canaan... Abraham makes his way to Canaan, and there God declares that the land belongs to him. The thing is that God doesn't tell anybody else, so while, while, um, while Abraham is the, the owner, the lord of Canaan, none of the Canaanites know that, and they treat him as an outsider, Now, that by itself is kind of a type of Christ who is, in fact, the King of kings and Lord of lords. He becomes flesh-born of Mary to to, uh, be our Savior. And as John says, he dwells among us, and his own people receive him not. Abraham is also in this a type of Old Testament Israel before Israel comes along. He goes to Canaan, then he travels down to Egypt, then he comes back to Canaan, and that foreshadows how a few generations later, the people of Israel will go from, from the land of Canaan down to Egypt, where they'll spend 400 years as slaves before making their way back up to um, the promised land under Moses. And that, in turn, points to Christ, who was born in Jerusalem, born in the promised land, he and Joseph and Mary have to flee to Egypt, and then they return to the promised land as well. So some interesting parallels there spanning the history of the Bible. Abraham, as a godly man, is surrounded by ungodly people, and nearby are the residents of Sodom and Gomorrah. And when God comes to visit Sodom and Gomorrah to to, um Pour out his wrath upon them for their sin. Abraham intercedes for the wicked, for the towns, and, and prays that God would spare them for the sake of the righteous. And, uh, and we know that, that our Lord Jesus intercedes for us as we live in the midst of a wicked people. So Abraham is a type of Old Testament Israel, he's a type of Christ he's also a type of God the Father. Because God the Father so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son to be sacrificed for our sin. And in our story for today, we have Abraham and his beloved son Isaac. And Isaac is nearly sacrificed by God's command. So again, all of Abraham's life, and we've only mentioned a few high spots in, this, in the first four and a half minutes of this podcast, but, but all of Abraham's life is told in the Bible to lead up to this moment. And so here we are, Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 19. Starts out, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He, God said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, first off, Abraham is an old man. He's probably pushing about 120 years old at this point. He has a son, Isaac, and Isaac is conceived when Abraham is 99 years old. And that means that Abraham is now around, if he's around 120, then Isaac is around 20, 21 years old himself. Isaac is not Abraham's only son. Abraham also has a son named Ishmael, but here's the difference. Isaac is born to Abraham's wife, Sarah, and Isaac is a child of the promise. In other words, God promised to Abraham that he would have a son through Sarah, and that son would be um, the, the, the next in line of a father of a great nation. Ishmael is not born to Sarah, but born to Sarah's handmaiden, Hagar. When Sarah is barren and can't bear children, she, she gives her handmaiden to Abraham and says, we've got to help God out with his promise, and so sleep with my handmaiden instead. So Abraham sleeps with Hagar, Ishmael's conceived and born, and so Abraham has a son through Hagar, but that's not the son that God has promised. So Ishmael will grow up to be a great and powerful guy but he's not the one that God promised. That's Isaac. So here, when God says, take your only son, Isaac, he's talking about the only son of the promise that God made. He says, take your, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Again, Isaac is, is a child of laughter. His name means laughter. And, uh, and he's been around for we're thinking 20 years or so, so Abraham has raised this son, he spent time with Isaac, and he's, he's got that deep love that a parent has for his child. And what does God say to do? Take your only son, Isaac, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I shall tell you. Now, that's quite a command by God. In fact, commentators struggle with God actually commanding this. And so some will say that that God could not have said this because God forbids human sacrifice elsewhere. Or God actually only meant a, a, quote, spiritual sacrifice and didn't mean an actual bodily sacrifice of Isaac. But yet here in the text, God says that he's to offer Isaac as a burnt offering. Seems pretty clear. Now, a burnt offering is is an expression of of giving something up totally to God. Um, When when a burnt offering is made, it is consumed entirely by the fire, and then it it ascends to God as a fragrant offering um, in, 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 in the smoke that rises. It's meant to signify atonement, and God's favor. And, and in the language of the text, God says, um, not just take your son, he says, go for yourself and take your son to be a burnt offering. In other words, God is saying, Abraham, for, for you, for your sake, you need to sacrifice your son. Now, why does God? do this? We find out already in verse one, God does this to test Abraham. We've said this before, when God tests his people, he's not trying to make them stumble. He's not trying to make them sin. Every time God tests his people, he's giving them an opportunity to trust in him He's giving them an opportunity to to confess his saving promises. So here is Abraham. He has one beloved son, and God has told Abraham that through Isaac, um, there will be a great nation born, and through Isaac, all nations will be blessed in the coming Messiah. And now God says to Abraham, Take your son, who's not married, who doesn't have kids, so there's no great nation on the way yet, take that son and offer him as a burnt offering. Fully give him up to me as as a sacrifice. What is Abraham to do? He has God's command to sacrifice his son, and he has God's promise that through Isaac a great nation will be born. These things don't seem to be able to, to be reconciled. If, if Isaac dies, how can he be the father of a great nation? and, and if he is meant to be a great nation, then, then, then how can God command his death? Well, Hebrews 11 verse 19 tells us that that Abraham obeyed God and trusted the command because he had the promise and believed that if God had promised that Isaac would be the father of a great nation, that even if Isaac died, God would raise him from the dead to keep his promises. So, Abraham obeys. Now, this is one of those stories where um, we have no record of Abraham's emotions. And so, more than one guy has said, Look how stalwart Abraham is. He's, he's willing to even sacrifice his son to obey God, and he, he has no regret about doing so, and that simply is not something we can say. Um, it is almost certainly likely that that Abraham struggles greatly with this command to sacrifice Isaac. He loves his son. God has even acknowledged that. but But even so despite the anguish, and despite the fact that the command doesn't make sense, Abraham is still willing to do what God commands. So, we continue with verse 3. So, Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Now, this is going to be a bit of a, a bit of a detour, but it's, I think, a good thing to keep in mind with this text. Um, in the Hebrew language in which the Old Testament is written, and also in the Greek language in which the New Testament is written, the word for wood is the same word as the word for tree and the word for lumber and the word for cross. And the word in Hebrew is etz. So when God plants the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden, he plants the etz of life and the etz of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden and when uh, when Abraham cuts the wood for the burnt offering he cuts the etz for the burnt offering and when he when he lays Isaac on the wood later on he lays it on he lays his son on the etz in fact every Every animal that is sacrificed at the tabernacle or the temple uh, as a burnt offering is laid upon the ets. What's the big deal? Well, it's the same word as tree. It's the same word as lumber. It's the same word as cross. Now, in English, we have different words for each of those concepts. We have a word for tree, a word for wood, a word for lumber, a word for cross. And so when an English translation comes along, each time it comes on the word "et,"s it has to pick one of those words to use. But when you pick one of those words, you lose the, uh, the hints of the other three. So for instance, when... The people of Israel are in the wilderness in Exodus 15. They come across water when they're really thirsty, but the water is bitter. It's at a place called Mara, which means bitter. And, and so we have this strange miracle where Moses turns the water sweet by the, the, the English says he takes he takes a log and he throws it into the water, and the water becomes sweet. Well, I mean, how come a log does a trick there? Is it filled with sugar or something? And the answer is no. In the Hebrew, Moses takes an etz and he throws it into the water. And etz means tree, wood, lumber, log, cross. And so, someone hearing this in Hebrew or in a Greek translation of the story would hear that Moses threw an etz in there to sweeten the water. And hearing that, they would think tree, wood, log, and, and cross. And so, as, as Moses added the etz to the water to make it sweet, so Jesus adds his cross to water for holy baptism, and there we are crucified and raised again with Jesus. See, because all of, those, all of those meanings are crammed into one word, if you're hearing it in Hebrew or Greek, you hear all those meanings when you hear the word. So here, as, as Isaac will haul this this wood up the mountain for his own sacrifice. If you're hearing this story in Hebrew or in Greek, you're hearing him haul wood or a tree or a cross up the hill for his sacrifice. All of that is in that same word. Okay, anyways, um, we we should move on here from, from this language detour. Thanks for putting up with that. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. So um, Abraham tells the young men to stay at a distance. As far as we know, they, uh, they have no idea that Abraham is about to sacrifice his son as a burnt offering. And they... They might have a few questions or objections or attempts to physically restrain Abraham if they're along. So Abraham says, stay here. But he also says, we will go over there and come again to you. Now, some might say that Abraham is just telling a lie and he knows he's coming back alone. But from the rest of this story, we conclude that Abraham is living by faith and even if he sacrifices Isaac, he knows that he's bringing Isaac back alive. So we continue in verse six, and Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering. He took the ets and laid it on Isaac his son. Now this tells us that Isaac is older. He's old enough to carry this load of firewood for his own his own sacrifice. And again, we're guessing that Abraham is about 120 years old, so Isaac is about 20 years old, which means he can easily outrun an old man with a knife if he wants to. And we read, um, going on in verse 6, And Abraham took in his hand the fire and the knife, so they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father... And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And wow, talk about a question to pierce Abraham's heart. It seems to be important to have a sacrifice if you're going to make a sacrifice. And Isaac has noticed that there's no lamb along for this ride. And so what does Abraham answer? He says, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. Real quick, and we'll come back to this later on when we start to wrap things up. The name Moriah means the place of God or the place of Yahweh's appearance. And and so um, Abraham and Isaac head towards where God is said to appear, And uh, that may play have some significance anyways a little bit later on. Verse 9. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now, somewhere along the way, Abraham reveals the plan. He reveals God's command that God has told him to sacrifice Isaac. Abraham is acting by faith, and when he tells us to Isaac, Isaac consents. Isaac trusts God's command, and Isaac trusts um, God's promises as well, so he allows himself to be bound and laid on top of the wood, on top of the ets. And this is the foreshadowing of Jesus. As Jesus hauled his ets, his cross, as far as he could towards Calvary, so Isaac has carried his ets, the wood for his sacrifice, up the hill. Jesus is laid on the cross, his ets, and nailed to it on Calvary. Here, um, Isaac is bound and he is laid on the ets, the wood for his sacrifice. And then we read in verse 10, Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. Seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. All right, so we get this climactic moment where, where Abraham, Abraham has, has a knife in his hand to sacrifice his son Isaac, and the angel of the Lord stops him. Now, the angel of the Lord is an interesting term in the Old Testament because it can just mean an angel. A heavenly messenger going about some errand to deliver some message that God has given the angel to deliver. But sometimes the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is Jesus before his incarnation. An angel is a messenger. Jesus is the word, right? And so sometimes the angel who's delivering the word of God is in fact Jesus speaking his word. How do you know when the angel of the Lord is Jesus? You know that by context. If the angel of the Lord performs some sign or wonder or miracle, we say, well, that's, that's Jesus doing divine, godly stuff. Here, it's also Jesus, not because of some great miracle he works, but because of the language he uses. Look at this. He says, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Now, Abraham wasn't sacrificing his son to an angel. He was sacrificing his son to God at God's command. So when the angel says, you have not withheld your son from me, that only makes sense if the angel is in fact Jesus, God himself. So now on this mountaintop, it's Jesus who prevents Abraham from sacrificing his son. And he says, now I know that you fear God. And, of course, Jesus already knew that before this. The sense of this is, is, is now it is made known that you fear God because I knew you feared me, and now by obeying my command and almost sacrificing your son, you have demonstrated to, to all who hear this story that you fear God and trust in his promises. All right, so, so now we continue in verse 13. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. So that's Mori Yah, Yahweh provides. So instead of Isaac dying, God provides a ram. Just as Abraham prophesied on the way up the hill, God will provide a lamb, my son. So God provides a really big lamb, a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And so the message here from, from God And the message here from God the Son, the angel of the Lord, to Abraham is, I will spare your son, and you will sacrifice this ram instead of your son, and your son will live. Now remember, all of this is pointing to Jesus. And the message here, not just to Abraham and to Isaac, but to you and to me, is God the Father and God the Son saying, I will spare you even though you deserve death for your sin because, says God the Father, I will sacrifice my son in your place. He will be the lamb I provide for the sins of the world. And when God the Father gives up his son to the cross to die, God the Son, Jesus, goes along with it and submits to that death for your salvation, just fantastic stuff. So, so Abraham and, and Isaac, father and son, their obedience, their trust, their cooperation to do what God wants—that foreshadows God the Father and God the Son working together, fully in agreement for your salvation. All right, then on to verse fifteen. Because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. So now that Isaac has been spared, the angel of the Lord, the Lord himself, actually, declares to Abraham that he, through Isaac, will be um, the father of this great nation. His offspring will be as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And through um, your offspring, says the angel, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Now, St. Paul points this out in the New Testament, that the word for offspring here is, in fact, the word Seed. Um, the Latin of course for that is, is, is sperm and, and seed is a, uh, is a singular and a plural word, both. So, um, when, and, and so is offspring, actually it can mean one or many. And so when, when the angel of the Lord here speaks of, of seed, he's using it in both senses. So on the one hand, um, when, when the angel here says that, um, that your offspring will be as the stars of heaven and the sand that is on the seashore, that's, that's offspring in the sense of the plural. You're going to have a lot of offspring. You're going to have a lot of seed. It's going to grow. But also, when it says your offspring shall possess the gate of his, of his enemies, now we've gotten to singular. And, your offspring, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. That's, that's a singular meaning, too. In other words, those last two are about Jesus. Jesus will possess the gate of his enemies. In Jesus, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So as this story uh, wraps up, the angel of the Lord, who is Jesus... And and this this is just kind of crazy. Jesus says to Abraham and Isaac, you're going to be the father of a great nation, and among those born of your seed will be the seed who blesses all nations, who, by the way, is me, because I'll be born of Mary many centuries from now. So Abraham obeys God's command until God stops him. Abraham trusts in the promises of God that that Isaac will uh, will, will be the, will continue the family line, and God answers that prayer or God answers that faith, and He promises promises the Messiah to boot. Now, um, Abraham passes the test, right? So, so uh, he told Abraham, he tested Abraham and told him to do something very difficult. And Abraham used that to obey God and, and confess uh, his faith in God's promises. Oh, and and by the way, all this happens in the area of Moriah. And we said before that Moriah means the, the place of God or the place of Yahweh's appearance. And as this angel of the Lord appeared to Abraham, the name of that place is fulfilled for, for um. Yahweh the Son has, has spoken to Abraham there and provided a ram. But we also find out later on in 2 Chronicles 3 verse 1 that when Solomon builds the temple, he builds it on the mountain of Moriah. And that, of course, means that Jerusalem is built on Mount Moriah. And so the area of Moriah is the area of Jerusalem and the hills around Jerusalem. Which means as this story points to Jesus' crucifixion, it's happening right around where Jesus was, in fact, crucified centuries later on. So, so Moriah, the place of Yahweh's appearing, Yahweh appears to Abraham there to, to stop the knife. It's a place where Yahweh is with his people at the temple. And it's a place where Yahweh appears in human flesh, crucified for the sins of the world. Certainly lives up to its name. So so what can we take from this? Well, of course, this this entire story points to, to Christ and his sacrifice for us. So as Abraham obeys and and, and moves his son towards um, his own sacrifice on this hill at Moriah. So God the Father wills that his son be the sacrifice for our sins. As the story unfolds, father and son, Abraham and Isaac, are in complete agreement to follow God's word, even if it means Isaac's death. And, of course, at Calvary, Father and Son are in complete agreement that the Son die for our sins. Isaac is to be offered as a burnt offering. And when we read of Jesus in Ephesians 5, verse 2, St. Paul declares that on the cross, Jesus gave himself up to God as a fragrant offering and sacrifice for our sins. In Genesis 22, Abraham and Isaac are both counting on Isaac coming back from the dead. At Calvary, both father and son know that the resurrection is coming. In Genesis 22, because Isaac lives, because the one who is sacrificed, more or less, lives, there follows a great nation. Because Jesus is sacrificed, there is a church, the people of God, you and me, this great nation of God's people who have eternal life. The contrast is this. When Isaac was nearly sacrificed, God provided a lamb. When Jesus is on the cross, He is the lamb. He is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And in fact, I I think that um, I think of, of God pointing out to Abraham that he should take his son, whom he loves, and sacrifice him. That reminds me of of God's command regarding the Passover lamb back in Exodus that people would take the lamb and they would keep it in the house for a few days, which means that they kind of grow attached to the little thing like you would to a kitten or a puppy, and then they would have to sacrifice this lamb they'd gotten attached to. And so we should never forget that God the Father's sacrifice of his son was not without anguish on his part but he loves you so much that he was willing to sacrifice his own son so that you might be redeemed. Such a great story, so full of God's promises and faithfulness and and, and life for you. Um, so, So God grants you every good gift as you meditate upon this text further. God grants you every good gift if you're teaching this to others. A blessed week to you until we speak again. The Lord order your days and your deeds in his peace. Amen.